Young entertainment. Young entertainment. Young entertainment. Young entertainment professionals. Young entertainment professionals. The best thing about what I do is the people. I mean, period. The music is great, and I love that I get to play guitar and make make music. But the people, the community we have here in Nashville, all the players, all the writers, the producers, the production assistants, the pluggers, the label people, A and R. I mean, it, there's just so many great people we get to be around and hang around. You know, I'm going to a roast of Shane McAnally here in a minute, you know, and it's definitely the people are the, is the best thing about what I do. Welcome to the Young Entertainment Professionals podcast, a series featuring the people cultivating the entertainment industry and their tie with Yeb Nashville. Today's guest stumbled upon his role in entertainment. While his parents were well ingrained in the industry, he did not choose music as a career path until he joined a band for fun. Session musician and producer Derek Wells is with us, and he is also one of the founders of our Yep Rewind shows that happen quarterly at the Basement East. We have a show coming up later in the year, and we will be releasing info on that very, very soon. Derek has worked with household names like Dolly Parton, Steven Tyler, and Josh Turner, and his most recent project involved producing Marin Morris's latest album, Girl. This is a great episode about navigating industry relationships as it pertains to client projects, preparing for an audition, and why a well-crafted song is the foundation of the creative process. Now to our episode with Derek Wells. Welcome, Derek Wells, to the Young Entertainment Professionals podcast. I'm happy to be here. It's a mouthful. It is. How's it going? It's great. How about yourself? Yeah, really good. It's been a busy week. Yes. In country music Mm -hmm. and just in general. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. So from the interviews that I've listened to and what I've read about you, music did not come as an interest early on. It came on later. So can you talk a little bit about that and share with us your experience? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, you know, a common story I hear in, in this town, you actually said something similar when we were talking earlier, is that, you know, well, um, you know, my parents just loved music and I, you know, I grew up in a house and, you know, my dad used to play old Johnny Cash records or we listened to old Beatles records and that kind of stuff. And that was just not my house growing up. You know, when I was, you know, born, my parents wanted to be musicians and they kind of existed in the side sideman world if you if you will my dad being a guitar player and my mother being a singer and piano player and and when we had music playing at the house it was stuff that they had to do for work you know it was like sometimes not so great songs that Mm -hmm. they were charting or or you know music that they had to learn for some sort of show or gig or something and some of it was cool but it was in my home music was definitely like the job you know and we didn't really listen to music um you know, in terms of an extracurricular, you know, and, yeah. and around our house. So, um, in fact, it was kind of isolated to the music room where my parents would go work on, you know, songs mm-hmm. and stuff. And so I think just a combination of that and then just situationally growing up, none of my friends really were interested in it. I didn't have any buddies that were in bands or anything like that. And so, yeah, the bug just, bug just really didn't hit me until, until my late teens and, and, yeah. you know, a, a cousin, play drums and he wanted to play music and and you know be in a band whatever that meant which at that at that stage in your life being in a band means you kind of go to your uncle's basement and hack around you right know? there's no we weren't playing it gigs. wasn't for real you were no, just doing it for fun so not for real yeah and um but yeah that was kind of the the, the the seed where everything everything started and 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 i just literally chose guitar because we had them laying around the house That's you know it was so like funny. my dad's a guitar player and so it was like hey can i 
can I borrow one of your guitars? <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, that was kind of how it all started. So since it wasn't something that you early on wanted to pursue, mm-hmm. so when it when it became something you wanted to pursue, was oh. there ever um, that pressure of... of... Oh, immense, yeah. You know, the thing I tell people a lot is that, um, you know, everyone in Nashville, you know, whether it's a songwriter or a singer or a, or a guitar player or, you know, what have you, artist, um, they were the best one in the little town they're from or, the you know, big town sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was certainly the case for my parents. They moved from Arkansas and my dad was the best guitar player anybody around there had ever seen. And my mom was the best singer that, you know, and, and, um, you know, a lot of people have to make the move here to Nashville and then kind of get the reality check that the bar is much, 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 mm-hmm. much higher than it was where you're, were from. And, um, the reality is, is that unless you live in, in Nashville and, and then arguably LA, you know, you're basing your skill level and your talent on a thing that's not really in reality. Right. Yeah. So where I was really lucky, but what was also terrifying is that I had a very real understanding immediately of what the bar was to be a guitar player. So, which was kind of my, you know, jump off point for me. It was like, well, I'm going to play guitar. And when I made that decision and, you know, I was, I was not going to, do college anymore. And I'm going to just move back home and live in my dad's basement and try to play Mm -hmm. guitar. I wasn't even trying to tell people that I played guitar or try to go play with somebody or I knew I wasn't good enough. I I, I was going to go embarrass myself. You know, I knew how good my parents were and their peers and the people I had grown up to admire. And, and, and I thought I could be that good someday. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to be that good, but I knew I wasn't. And, you know, I certainly didn't want to go out and, you know, embarrass myself or embarrass them or any of those things. So, you know, it was a solid, you know, 18 months of, you know, waiting tables and woodshedding in the basement before I even, you know, thought about going out and playing music with somebody. Do you think that helped you in a sense that you didn't have a false idea of what it was like to be a session musician? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it helped in, in, in all kind of stages. Um, but basically, just knowing that, well, like I said, A, knowing where the bar is mm-hmm. and knowing how serious they took it. And also, I'd say this, knowing what it's like to be, you know, basically an outsider being hired to do a job as it relates to music. Because right. again, a lot of people come to town and they're used to being in bands or they're an artist and their band was their buddies. And the dynamic of those relationships is not the same as somebody who's saying, I'm going to pay you money to show up and play guitar or, or play bass or sing harmonies or whatever. And you have to approach it like a job. You know, you can't get too comfortable just because, you know, the money isn't some icing on the cake thing. It's like, you're there to do a service, you know, to render payment (laughs) basically. So knowing that I think helped me walking into things. So when you've walked into a project, how do you kind of create boundaries in this in the sense where you don't get too emotionally attached to that project, but enough to contribute to the creativity of it and the vision? Right. And that's the needle, right? That's the needle you have to, you have to thread all the time because, um, you know, it's easy to not get wrapped up in it if you just didn't care. 
Mm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, if you, if you look at it in this, from this kind of transactional sense of like, you know, sessions, you know, here in Nashville, we kind of run these sessions on, you know, the three hour blocks kind of per our union. And it's like, yeah, it, it would be easy to just show up and say, you got me from 10 to one. Um, I'll do whatever and not really care and, and just kind of do the thing or maybe, maybe phone it in or maybe not, but not pour yourself into it. Right. The flip side of that is caring too much and possibly forgetting that, again, we're in a service industry, mm-hmm. again, caring maybe too much and starting to lose sight of like, well, I do kind of have a boss here. You know, I'm not going to tell the songwriter who hired me for a demo that like their idea is terrible right. and that like, no, 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 that's wrong. You should do it like this. You know, there are moments when I can kind of maybe politely suggest an alternative in times or something that I think is maybe an improvement in a take it or leave it. Um, and then that same thing kind of just only grows when you talk about records and projects that can span out, you know, the work of those things and the scope of those things are, are larger on the front end and the back end. You, they're, they take longer to make, mm-hmm. so you're more involved. And then the, you know, concept or in the, the prospect of it blowing up and being this long-term thing that you might have to hear or might get to hear for a long time. How do you give yourself to that project and really care about it and really care about what you're contributing and also kind of retain this service industry mentality, right? You know, that, that is always, that's the needle I'm trying to thread every day as a session player and as a producer, right? And so um, I, I wish I could say I nailed it every day. There's been days when I fall on either side of that line, but I'm always trying to show up and and take, you know, the song or the music or the project that I'm given and say, okay, how can I make this the best song for this writer? Like, how can I help them get their vision on paper? How can I make you know, if I'm producing a Scotty McCreary record, how can I make the best Scotty record? It's not how, how can I make a record for me and, you know, get, you know, get all my kicks on every choice at the end of the day, you know? So that's the, that's the needle I'm always trying to thread every day. And it's, it's a battle, you know? I'm sure. And I mean, you probably don't even know, um, you can't plan too far ahead because albums and projects change all the time and songs change all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So before I go through, um, a list of people that you worked with and mm-hmm. talking about, you know, those experiences. I want to know how you prioritize those different projects. What it's, oh. is, I mean, is that just like a hefty, like, Oh, it's the worst. Ambiguous question. <laughs> it's tough. It, it It is, you know, as, as someone, you know, it, it's a tricky question to answer because, you know, uh, there's a lot of terms for this, you know, uh, King's problems or, or what have you. And it's like, this stuff only becomes an issue once you get kind of busy and you get to maybe a certain level of success. And so mm-hmm. you feel it's hard to complain about these sort of things, mm-hmm. but the greatest challenge I have is what you're talking about. And that that's how to prioritize art, right? Because yeah. on the one hand, you know, a songwriter's demo session to that songwriter can probably feel as important as a record that I'm going to play on for somebody. You know, those the songs are their life. They've poured their heart into those things. You know, this is their job. This is their career. They're hoping to get these songs recorded in a way that can elevate the songs and then ultimately their career and all these kinds of things. Um, but the scope of some of the bigger records and stuff is, 
is kind of undeniable to an extent. So the the most common thing I see is kind of having to wrangle how I schedule and how I allot time for the songwriters and the demo sessions versus when the records call. Because there's plenty of times when I have to call someone and say, hey, Steve Bogard, I... I know we had this demo session booked for Thursday, the 22nd. And I know you booked me like three weeks ago, but Kenny Chesney needs to record for three days and I can't miss Kenny records. Like these are things I have to be a part of for a lot of reasons. And so. That would be a a Bart all call. Incredible. Uh, Well, we're just going to let that be on here. We should, because I think it was too (laughs) legit to quit too. I may be wrong, but I think that's what the song that was playing. Josh, could you hear what song that was? No. I think it was too legit to quit. Anywho, so yeah, but back to the scheduling thing. That's yeah. part of the 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 thing I'm having to do. And then you take a you stair step on top of that. It becomes when you get a call about a Tim McGraw record, mm. but you're already booked on a Thomas Rhett record, and having to kind of figure out how to. Well, it's pretty tough to decide which. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, and it, it's and it's it rarely to never. I can just tell you this for me. I I've had to just I adopted pretty early on a, just a standing policy of like first come first serve, and so mm-hmm. everyone knows. You know, I kind of famously turned down Steven Tyler from Aerosmith the first time that I got a call to go do a session for him because I was already booked. And and I was already booked for someone that was definitely not of the scope of of that artist of you know Steven Tyler or Aerosmith, but that's the way I do it. And what that helps me is when you know someone does call and they say, "Well, man, we need you, and we need you." And I go, "Well, look, the last time this was turned around, and I was telling somebody else I couldn't do it, or we couldn't do that day, or I couldn't be there because I was being loyal to you. So you have to understand that this is how this goes, you know. So that's been my kind of thing. Certainly different people have different ways of handling that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's always been, it's always worked out in the end, okay. And ultimately, you know, Steve and Ty, for example, I didn't do that session, but they cut some more and I was invited to be there the next part. And they couldn't fault me for holding to a commitment that I had already had, you know. It just shows, like you said, the loyalty and humility and and, and being in this business and just trusting that what opportunities come along that are for you are for you. And we'll... I, I, I believe that. And, and yeah. I, be, I believe that, you know, look, no one can be everywhere all the time. No. And in those seasons where you are busy, all you can do is try to honor commitments mm-hmm. and try to handle all those things with grace and positivity to people and just show them that you're not, you know, thinking about any of it frivolously, basically. You and know? you end up investing in those relationships with a genuine foot forward. Completely. And then, you know, more things come along and you, you know, don't don't miss out as people think they will, you know? Absolutely. That's, that's, uh, that's been, that has absolutely been my experience in the business. Mm. Yeah. I love it. So I'm going to read out short list from a huge list of people that you've worked with. Mm. Um, can you describe in one to two words um, that describe their work work ethic or stylistically how they approach a recording session? Okay. Dolly Parton, to start with her. <laughs> <laughs> Queen pro. Um, Dolly wakes up at 5 a.m. every day to this day. And works really hard until about 5.30 or 6, and then she shuts it down. And when she's in recording sessions, she's engaged. Mm-hmm. She's focused. Um, you know, She's not on a 
cell phone. I mean, she doesn't even have one, but she's, she's very present, um, contributes in a way that's not elitist at all. will listen to anyone's ideas, willing to try anything, but also is able to simultaneously stay true and be completely herself. Uh, she is the definition of professional and it's absolutely no secret why she is where she is. Lucy Silvis. Oh my God. Beloved. It's the first one. Um, and singular. Uh, Lucy is one of those, to me, artists that you could go a hundred years and not find another Lucy Silvis. She just has um, such a unique viewpoint. She's one that I, I always just go like, I wonder what music Lucy listens to when she's hanging out. Right? She comes in and plays these songs and it's just this unbelievable combination of of you know influences that you know obviously there's a lot of british stuff but then there's these kind of core like american soul things to her and 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 lyrically it's it's diverse but also really poignant and and her singing is just out inc of incredible world. i can't say enough good things about her um definitely one of the easier her last record was definitely one of the easier records i've been a part of in terms of feeling creative because you hear a song and it just inspires you um thomas rett Oh, TR. Um, fun, a great guy, and also professional. Um, TR is, is um, you know, he cares a lot. He thinks so much. He puts so much time and energy into the, the kind of songs he's writing, the kind of songs he's cutting, the things he wants to say, um, and how that uh, it will be translated, you know, to an audience. And those are definitely some of the most... Um, we have a blast on those sessions. The, mu the music's always fun, and, and TR, again, is really engaged. And, um, and that's a good crew. And that the whole production combination on those records, Jesse Frazier, Dan Huff, and also Julian Benetta's, we have a blast. That's all a, great people. All great people, yeah. Uh, Kenny Chesney. Kenny. Um, man, I mean, you know, icon. Um, someone said this. I'll steal someone else's words, but... They said, you know, Kenny is his audience and his audience is him. And that is <laughs> so a guy. True. Well, man, he's he is dialed in to what his fans want to hear mm -hmm. to a level that I, I don't I don't know that I've seen uh, 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 in, in other artists. And I mean, certainly, you know, people connect with their fans in, in a lot of different ways. But when he talked about his live show or when he talks about the kind of songs he wants to record and we cut those things and. He he knows what what his fans want from him, what the the kind of songs they want to hear him sing, and and how it's going to go over in terms of his you know massive stadium show stadium show because he's been doing it so long. So uh, he is his audience, and his audience is him. Steven Tyler, <sighs> I mean, yeah, legend, legend. Uh, and I mean that voice. It was, you know, I remember tracking the first song of that thing, and he. He uh first off, he was blown away that we hadn't heard the song when we got there. That was pretty funny. That's hilarious. And we had this really interesting moment where me and the bass player Twins, you know, Steven's like, You guys haven't heard the song? Here, here, take my phone. And he hand, he just kind of shoves his cell phone, which was also his wallet with all his, you know, <laughs> credit cards and everything. He's like, Go out in the hall. One of those like to... sticky, like back pocket Totally. Thing, yeah. Like, go out in the hall and listen to this. And we're like holding Steven. <laughs> We've been there five minutes. I'm holding Steven Tyler's phone, listening to this song. And he was definitely um when I heard his voice come through the headphones the first time, um, that was one of the more surreal musical experiences I've ever had, for sure. Uh, 
Uh, and then Marin Morris. God. Because I also want to talk about her new album okay. in a second. But um, first word that comes to mind with Marin is artist. Um, and you know, I met Marin really early on. Um, when she was she was doing a a new faces night at the old basement. And um, we had some mutual friends from Texas, and and I was lucky enough to play on, you know, Marin's first demo session in Nashville, um, and and was obviously part of her first record, and now and, and we've been friends, and then, you know she's now married to one of my good good friends, Ryan's a good buddy, and um, you know, Marin has just always been special. She she is, and she again has a very unique viewpoint. And has a thing stylistically that is just undeniably her. And it's amazing how, you know, we can take some of these songs and if you kind of looked at them as separate pieces or you had different person's voice on them, some of them might at first glance not seem to go together. But then you get her singing on it and you get her take on it and suddenly it just all becomes this thing. And it's amazing. You know, she's special. So how did her latest album come together? Like, what was that process like with her? Yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful. Uh, well, thank you. Visually and... Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, Production you know, it, it was quite different from the first record because um, the first record, you know, a lot of people don't realize um, we made... About half of that first record was made before Marin even had a record deal. You know, I recorded a lot of the guitars, well, I mean, all the guitars, for songs like My Church and 80s Mercedes and I could use a love song in the in the my old condo, you know, and um um her producer at the time, Busby, they were they were writing a lot of great songs and we were kind of just email exchanging a lot of the music mm-hmm. because it was we didn't realize the scale, you know. We we they were demos for at that time for all intents and purposes that just became, you know, records and 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 obviously became kind of special recordings. Um, so the, the new record, it was great because, you know, Marin had, um, obviously a lot of kind of, um, leverage and I just use the word leverage, but you get a, uh, you know, you get to make some choices once you've won a Grammy and, you know, right. you've had a successful album and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And so, so it was great. You know, we hold up at a studio, um, uh, uh, it was a year ago in May, so May of 2018, and we were there a couple weeks. And uh, her producer Busby and and myself and uh, Aaron Sterling plays drums, who plays for John Mayer, and he was in a big part of the first record too. And and um and that's the the band for Marin, you know. And um we, I remember myself, you know, completely put on to myself, feeling a lot of pressure going into the recording thinking man you know she won a grammy and we've done this and and i'm really proud of that first record and it's been really successful for her and like i want this next one to to be great or or better or the next Mm -hmm. logical step in evolution from aaron and and even though you know she didn't put any of that pressure on me you know that's that's because she never would but um that's how i was approaching it and you know the first song she played us we were like Okay, this is all going to be fine. This is going to be like, great. This is here's Marin. She's here to save the day. She showed up with a bunch of great songs. What and, was the first song she played you? Um, the first song um that I heard the, the I think the first song we recorded 
was gold love mm-hmm. um and uh and uh, she had written that with busby and that was the that was the first one i'd heard for the new record and i thought okay we're gonna be this is it we're gonna, we're gonna be do fine. this <laughs> and then they and then you know and then of course it all just keeps coming you know it's like just really great you know like great song after great song after great song after great song and every time we'd get through one we'd be like oh my god it's been one of those days that was my phone that time guys playing hold on karate chop remix whatever that is that's what my phone just played um and so yeah and and then from then from then on out you know Marin in the studio like her voice is also you know incredible incredible and it's inspiring too you know a lot of a lot of people don't realize, you know, as a player, what we gain out of, you know, someone really performing a vocal when we're recording mm-hmm. this music. It really does affect us and translate. And that's another thing you get with Marin is just, you know, top notch singing and the songwriting's great. And she's always committed to doing stuff that's cool and pushing it, but also having a viewpoint. Um, so yeah, we just kind of hold up until that record was done. And it's been, it, uh, I did a few overdub things after we, the initial, you know, couple weeks of tracking, but then it was hard for me because I went like eight months without hearing the record, you know? Yeah. Until he finally started to get mixes back and she shared a couple and her producer shared a couple. And I was like, then it got me fired up again. It was like, oh, You're yeah, like, yeah, oh, we we're did actually this. releasing yeah. this. We this did this. this. It's is... a great record. Yeah, other people are going to hear it. Yeah, but Marin's um, she's a, a joy to work for, and and um, as is Busby, the producer, and um, and um, that's a special record for me. Both of those records are special to me. So, whether whether it be a songwriter or an artist that you're working with, how can they best prepare for a session? Kind of going off what you were saying about an artist, you know, preparing well for a vocal, like. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a couple things, and I think I'd, I'd be lying if I said it was the exact same if you're a songwriter or if you're an artist, because I do think there's some differences there. Mm-hmm. If you're a songwriter preparing for a session, you know, most of the time we're going to be taking some sort of really bare bones version of the song and kind of trying mm-hmm. to build it up, right? And so, and this sounds funny, but I always say, you know, the best thing, you, you know, you can do for your songs in terms of being prepared for a demo session is have the song finished. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we get into these demo sessions for songwriters and um, there's sections that they're unsure about, or they're still tweaking this part of it. And then mm. that kind of comes up for debate. And and sometimes you make decisions that in the moment that even well-intentioned can be wrong or wrong for the song, not to mention, you know, you created new problems for the musicians to solve that they're not, they don't really need to be solving. You know what I mean? It's like, so I always say the way it works best is that you bring this piece of music and it inspires me to go play something that then hopefully elevates the song. Right. Right. But if you bring in this thing and it's kind of patchworked and not really, not a clear vision, not a clear vision. And, and you also don't know, you can't offer any insight, you know, into where we need to go. You can't point me in a direction. Well, then I end up having to solve all these problems before I even start playing guitar, right? Kind of on an intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. And you're just not going to get the best product, you know? So I would say in terms of songwriters, the best thing they can do when they show up to sessions is, um, well, A, um, uh, have a, an accurate, you know, representation of the song if you're not the kind of person who can 
come in and play the song once without messing up for the band so that we can learn it or chart mm-hmm. it. Make sure you have at least one decent iPhone recording of the song without mistakes and where we can hear the chords and where we can hear the voice and all that kind of stuff because I can't tell you how many times we've gotten work tapes and it's recorded poorly. You know, the 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 phone is is three inches from the person's <laughs> face and the guitar's way down here and we can't hear any of the chords. And they're like, well, I didn't, that wasn't me playing guitar. That was my friend. Well, can you show me the chords? No. Can you not hear them? No, we can't, you know. Because they may hear them in their head, or but that's but hard they to can't translate play to them, you. And yeah, right. and, so, and that's the kind of stuff. So so in terms of preparation for, for songwriter demos, just having a clear, basic, no-frills recording of the song, you know, um, that we can hear and we can chart from. Mm. And, and again, being familiar enough with the song where you can answer questions or follow along when we start asking you things about it. Right. Hey, um, the bridge of this song. Hold on, what part is that? Where is that song? You know, and that kind of stuff. It 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 can get you know, it, it can just bog everything down, and and you're not going to get the best product at the end. For artists, um, a lot of times those sessions, there's already some sort of mocked up version of the song. Maybe not, but usually there is, and we also have a lot more time. Mm-hmm. We have a lot more time to to chase down things, to, to try stuff. And the great thing about, um the artist sessions too is that nine times out of 10, they're going to be like kind of the North star for us all. You know, they're, they're going to go, um, you know, no, I don't love that. We need to make it more like this and really be able to, to explain it. So for artists in terms of being prepared, I would say, again, it's just kind of like, know your song, like know your song and have the vision for, for where you want to go and, and, and everything else should take care of itself. Great tips. Um, so what is it like working with new artists that you haven't known for a long time, like Marin? Right. Um, and I don't know when you met, you know, Abby Anderson, Daniel Bradbury, et cetera, sure. Dan and sure. Shay. Yeah. But what is it like entering into a project fresh, getting to know them, getting to know their style, getting to know yeah. the songs? Like, it's a good question. That's a good question. And it, and it's different every time. And so, um, this kind of falls under the things you can control versus things you can't mm. control. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so anytime I'm working for someone like that for the first time, uh, hopefully if you, if you have a good producer, they're usually able to give you some sort of insight before you've even played a note about, Hey, this guy's pretty traditional or like, Hey, this girl mm-hmm. loves this kind of stuff. And, and, and I'm luckily enough in a situation now where sometimes they can even reference things that I've done. They can say, Hey, they love the Marin record, just so you know. So like those kinds of sounds and tones. We're not here to make a copycat record, but like. Right. Okay, great. Okay, so that helps. Um, but if you really don't know anything, at the core, all I can do is hear a song, walk out there, and do what I think is right, you know. And so it really goes down to instinct. Now. At that point, once I've kind of thrown an option out there, we've played the song once or twice, and the band and me have kind of, this is what we're doing instinctively. Best case scenario, they love it. They say you're on the right direction, and you can tweak from there. Worst case scenario, they go, this is really not it. You know, this is, um, it doesn't feel right, and it's not, and I, you know, this. And that's where, again, the service industry part of it comes in. Mm-hmm. Because... By going out there and playing what's in my gut, I've kind of 
said without saying like, well, I think this is cool, right? Right. And so when they go, this is not it, you can't get offended. You have to just kind of go, okay, that's all right. I I kind of aimed wrong here or they have a different vision for this. So you start asking some questions and you're trying to feel out some references. If Again, if you're lucky, they're very articulate and they can say, man, we don't want it to be as big or as bombastic. Like it, it doesn't have to rock so hard. We can make it a little smaller or intimate and those... You can, those can inform choices. Sometimes they say, man, I, I don't really know what, where to start or what to say, but this is definitely not it. And they're entitled to say that, you know? Yeah. So we have to get into the, the business of interpreter, you know, and you try to figure out and you build that relationship brick by brick by brick of like little victory after little victory. You know, every time I do something that they seem to like, or I'm able to find find out what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. We're building a little bit of trust and it's also helping me develop and sharpen the scope of where we're going to aim these records, you know? Um, and then, yeah. And then, you know, hopefully you get an album in two albums in and you usually are pretty dialed in terms of, you know, um, speaking the same language, you know? Right. And, and it's like, not that we're at all interested in making the same album over and over and over, but there are things you can you can learn and things that you realize people gravitate to and that they want to hear when they play you a, a rough recording the things that they 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 want to respond to you know so yeah there's no there's no simple answer and there's no quick answer to all that it's like it's like dating somebody yeah you know you show up i mean i can i have you ever stepped away from a project before i have okay. yeah yeah well rare occasion i guess yeah I, sure. I, well i I'll, let me i'll rephrase this um, I've never stepped away mid project, Okay, but there have been a couple artists that, um, when the next project came around, I kind of politely declined and just said I was busy because I just didn't feel like I fit in that system. Mm -hmm. And you can argue like, well, they asked you back. You obviously fit. It's like, well, yeah, but it also kind of felt like it was harder than it should have been. Forced. Yeah. And if there's something else that's on the line of where you fit, feel like you exactly. would rather invest your time. Than and that's and like we're talking about, too, is it's like, well, it's one thing to say like, well, yeah, they're going to pay you. I mean, gosh, I can't believe you would turn down, blah, blah, go there. And it's like, well, yeah, but what if I ended up having to miss a thing that I really wanted to do because I was there doing this thing that I'm really... I don't love and I don't really love the end product. And I wasn't, that was the other thing. I remember one of those specifically at the end of the day, I just wasn't proud of it when it was done. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, well, I don't love this. I don't, I don't, I'm not really proud of it. And I find, I find it hard to believe that I'll be able to pour much of myself into the next one. So I, I'd rather not be there. It does happen. It's yeah. sometimes, you know, they're, they're all blind dates. If it, <laughs> if it goes well, and Great. You, you have a rapport, things build, and you keep dating. But there are times you show up and you go, this did not go well. And the other one's going, hey, you want to go out again? Like, nope. No, sorry. No, I can't. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Busy. Um, what drew you to playing on records full time? Well, that comes at a base level. That came from my parents, um, specifically my dad. Um, you know, he he just, when I was young... And he, he was touring at the time and he's playing for Reba and, and, uh, he just held a lot of those guys in such, you know, high regard. Mm -hmm. He, it was just, bef again, before I really cared about music, 
he talked about the session guys like they were the Yankees or the, you know, whatever, the Patriot, you know, whoever, whatever sports analogy you want to use. And so um, a lot of his kind of reverence to those guys and his kind of, you know, the regard he held those dudes and and, and him getting excited about talking about them right. made me excited about it. And so pretty early on, I realized, man, those are the, you know, those are the baddest guys walking. And again, when I was going to play music, you know, I knew that I had a way better chance of getting a, a job touring first than trying to get in the session thing because I just, I didn't feel like I had the skill set yet. I was mm -hmm. still new to the instrument and I was still learning. And, and that was, ended up being my path. You know, I kind of came through the touring thing first and then ultimately made the decision, but to switch, um, you know, or try to not switch is a bad word, but try to make a concerted effort to stay here and just do recording. Right. But it, it was, it was just kind of all based on this kind of childlike thing that I've always had about the guys making the records are just the greatest, you know, mm -hmm. they're just, the, they're just the most talented. Everyone wants to be those guys, you know, it's and like, I'm sure it was cool, you know, to start out in the touring with like Josh Turner, exactly. for example, yeah, yeah. you got to hear that record live. Yes. So you got to see people's reactions and mm -hmm. I'm sure that's played a huge role in yep. and your those, creative process. Absolutely. And those were master classes for me too, in terms of learning how to be a session guitar player, because I would, you know, have to learn those records cover to cover when I, every time Josh would have a new album cycle and I wasn't playing on the records in the early mm -hmm. days, I had to go through and learn all these session guys, guitar parts. And it was, you know, really great. And that's stuff that I learned tricks from learning those records that I will, that I still use every day, you know? So, so what do songs mean to you either as a business person yeah. or as the listener? Ooh, well, how do they inspire you? Yeah, well, it's basically the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a songwriter. And so for one, talk about reverence. Like, I just think it's amazing that people like Tom Douglas can walk in a room and, you know, or Lori McKenna or whoever and have nothing, have a blank sheet of paper and just come up with this stuff and these amazing, you know, things that are moving and, and then also... You know, they say things that people aren't able to say themselves, or they mm -hmm. say things in this universal way that's just relates to so many people on so many levels, or um, you know, and it is really is a universal language in that regards. And so I'm I've always just been kind of blown away that people can do it at that level for one. Right. Um and you know, th that to me is the basis of of uh, being a guitar player or producer. It's like I said earlier, like when I hear these things, you know, these, these great songs, it's like that inspires me to then go do what I do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've said for years, my ability to play guitar is directly related to how good a song is. You know, I, I've never had trouble coming up with something when I thought the song was great. Yeah. You know, and the times when I'm usually like beating my head against the wall going, man, why is this not ultimately at the end of the day, you know, subjectively. I've thought, oh, this, I don't really love this song, you know? And so, uh, for me, I, you know, I can't do what I do without songwriters, plain and simple. You know, I play guitar because I loved playing songs. That was always my, I don't play guitar to listen to myself rattle, you know, I like playing songs. And, um, so business and personally, it's like, 
they're everything to me because when I listen casually at my house and put on a turntable, it's like, I love hearing songs and I love the idea that these people created this out of nothing. And as, as a producer and as a guitar player, I'm like, I wouldn't have a job without you guys. And you get to add on to that, which yeah. is really cool. It's the, cra it's the crayon analogy. It's like someone comes in and they have this, you know, great picture of the John Mayer said this, like, it's like, they've got a great picture and they had 16 colors, right? And the picture's already great, but I've got like a 64 box of crayons and I'm able to kind of go, oh, 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 yes, 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 yes. This could use these three colors that you just didn't happen to have. And I can help there. And it's like, it's a win-win, but it's inspiring for me, you know. Do you watch his current mood? Oh, yeah, all and the time. I, sometimes I have yeah. on the on the background yeah. while I'm working. Yes, yes. It's just, I, the whole thing He's is great. brilliant. He's, He's great. great. He's brilliant, man. He's just great, yeah. Can you give a little bit of advice on... First, building your network. Oh, yeah. Um, and then also auditioning. How to go, how to approach that okay. when you just don't you just don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, um, a lot of people when they're moving to town, I get asked you know similar questions, and mm -hmm. and and I'll preface this by saying that I can only tell you what worked for me. Right. But a common thing I'll tell guys is, you know, or girls or whatever, uh, is that um, in this town, in terms of networking, you know, familiarity breeds trust and it goes a long way. And I can't think of the, um, the number of opportunities that kind of came my way just from being around and being a consistently like normal, good hang, you know, um, I was definitely you know, at points in my life offered opportunities to play guitar that by someone who had never heard me play guitar, but had been around me enough and liked me and thought, yeah, he's cool. Let's just give him a try, you know? Um, and, you know, so when it comes to the, the, this idea of networking, for me, I got very, very, very little return from any of like, from having some sort of really strong agenda in right. terms of like, well, I'm going to set up a meeting with so-and-so and go in here and talk with them and, and tell them that I want to be a part of their music and this kind of stuff. Um, and maybe some people have had success doing that. It never really worked for me that way. Mm. For me, I can trace my entire career kind of back to one session and one thing. And it was all just because like I was hanging out with a buddy who was dating this girl and we were all hanging out a lot. And then we started working and I met this guy and then we started hanging out and then I started going to see these shows and I was just a fan of their shows. And then one week their guitar player couldn't make it. And because they knew me, they had me play guitar and it literally all just builds like that, like roots from a, you know, a tree just spreading. It just makes those opportunities more memorable. I feel like. Yeah. And you know, uh, yes, uh, yeah, completely. And, and I think you're also too, you're, you know, if you're talking about, quote unquote, building a brand, mm -hmm. right? Well, what better can way can you build it other than just like being the person that people like being around? Right. You know, now, obviously there's a barrier to entry in terms of a skill set and you have to be good enough to do whatever job. If you're a terrible songwriter, being a cool person is going to get you in the room once and they're going to go, oh yeah, okay. Well, they were right. sweet and all, but let's don't do that again. Same with playing guitar or drums or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, I can think of almost, you know, 0.0, .0 times where someone saw me play guitar and came up to me cold and said, hey, 
you're better than the guy that I have playing guitar for me. Let me hire you instead of him. Never. But however many times that I had people that called me and said, hey, man, did I hear you say you played a little mandolin? It's like, yeah. Man, c- come do this gig with me because my guitar player is going to be there, but I need a mandolin player too. And you're, okay, I'll do that, you know, <laughs> and and that kind of stuff. And then that ultimately leads to the second part of this is the audition situation, mm-hmm. which can be tough. You know, it's, I won't lie. It's a, it's a strange situation. And most of the time you're marching in there before and after somebody who just auditioned for the same thing. Mm-hmm. But again, things you can control versus things you can't. Okay. So in terms of an audition, the best advice I can give anybody is be prepared, learn the songs they give you for one, which sounds like a no brainer, but you'd be surprised. Um, which I circle way back to our conversation about taking it seriously as a job and a profession and not just being a guy that plays music. Right. But show up, be professional, be on time, know the songs and just be kind and, and, and uh, engaging to the people in the brief period of time you have there. You know, you'll probably meet an artist or the band leader for five minutes and they'll talk to you and just be engaging and show them that you're a normal person and that you're, you know, and it makes everybody comfortable and yeah. it's not, it's, it's tense. It's... And then all you can do is play the, play the best you can and then walk out and see what happens because there's the things you can't control are mm-hmm. things like, well, the drummer also has a buddy that's auditioning. And so he probably is going to ultimately end up getting the gig anyway, or, you know, or, or, you know, something happens internally as a part of your audition that's maybe not even your fault, but then throws people off. And then, or you're the first person that comes in in the morning. And by the end of the day, they might have just kind of forgotten how much they liked you. I mean, these are, you can't control those kinds of things. And so all you can do in terms of these auditions is control what you can control. And that's be prepared, be a cool person, you know, look people in the aisle, that kind of thing, you know, show up on time and then show them that, you're a person that they're going to, if you get the gig, that they're going to want to spend time with because you're going to be on a bus with them. For a very long time, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about live performance. Yeah. Um, you were a huge part of our Rewind shows. Yeah. The early yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. So kind of your place in that, why you feel like it's a value to the community and how, how musicians can prepare for live gigs, whether they're on a small scale or sure large stadium. Sure. Yeah, well, live music is the, I mean, that's the basis of everything because, you know, literally, you know, hundred years before there was recorded music, we were, there yeah. was, you know, symphonic stuff and everything. So it all goes back to live music and live performance. Um, you know, these records that we make, these are catching a moment in time, but they, they're really just a vessel to go out and connect with people in terms of the live, live thing. And the shows in town, you know, the Yep shows were great because we did such a diverse, um, you know, catalog of music over... The, you know all those different shows whether it be time periods or specific artists or whatever and and that was kind of fun and challenging as a musician you mm-hmm. know all the players we always liked it because we got to do so much different stuff yeah. and it was great because for, i think for a lot of the artists you know when i was doing it i think uh, they probably rarely got the chance to kind of sing some of those songs at that level you know it's beyond karaoke you know yeah and, and then to a crowd and then also for charity and for a good cause and all that kind of stuff um, but yeah, uh, in terms of, you know, shows in town, it, it, it's, and, and playing these kinds of things, I feel like a, a broken record, but like just being prepared to show up and do your best and play, you know, I mean, like 
rehearsals are never a bad thing. People, you know, and, and if you can't like absolutely can't get a rehearsal together, like just doing your homework, I, it's unfortunate sometimes to see someone have a bad showing at a live, right. you know, show, whether they're an artist or, you know, forgetting words to songs or, or, you know, just kind of blunders on stage or whatever. And there's things that happen that are out of people's control. And sometimes people just, you know, genuinely have a brain fart, but <laughs> A big part of me, you know, there was a period of time when after I had left my touring gig full time and I was making ends meet by playing sh shows like an animal, all is anything, anyone that was going to pay me 30 bucks or $40 to right. come play a show, I would go play a show. And I didn't prepare for those shows any different than I prepared for a show when I was with Josh Turner or prepared mm -hmm. for a show when I go out and do an award show or go play the CMAs or any of that stuff. Now it's like, I was preparing in a way that I didn't embarrass myself or anybody else on stage. You know, I wanted to have a good showing. And I think, you know, if everyone kind of looks at it like that, like, well, they just want to represent themselves the best and have a thing. It's like, then everybody gets to rise up and win together. Right. Right. And then you get and the show is what a better vessel than that for someone to come away and be, blown away by you know what you've done and then they again i'm not saying that they're going to come up and go man you guys are great i'm going to quit hiring everybody i've been hiring and use you guys but make them want to be around you they come up and they say, man, if they see that you're having fun it's not going to be hard to it's contagious it's contagious and the, the, there's a synergistic aspect of all that and and also i made some great friends like lifelong friends in the kind of live show scene where they mm -hmm. were playing in different bands and we would always hang out and have drinks after each other said and talk and, you know, or whatever. And those friends end up getting you other gigs and you meet, I mean, again, networking, all that stuff. It really does all kind of circle back to the live gigs for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I came up with a new segment in my car during lunch today. Mm -hmm. Josh doesn't know about it, but it's just called rewind. Okay. Based off of the shows. So I'm going to go through a couple of just quick questions. Um, of your first so okay. first paid gig in the industry oh um <laughs> it was uh uh tammy cochran she had a song called um angels in waiting i think i remember that and song. i went yeah and i went out and um I, yeah. that was my first like gig out where i made money yeah first song you learned on the guitar smoke on the water by uh, Deep Purple. Wow. Which I actually just two weeks ago got to make a record with Ian Gilliam, who was the singer from Deep Purple. And I like after like four days what? of holding it in, I finally at, we were at lunch at Mellow Mushroom and I was just kind of like, <laughs> Smoke on the Water was the last first song I played on guitar. <laughs> I had to kind of bust out. And he was very gracious, but it's awesome. Yeah. First guitar you bought? Um, The first guitar I owned my dad gave to me so because he's a guitar player and so i right. had access to some stuff yeah. he gave me a telecaster the first guitar i bought myself i i still haven't used all the time um mm. uh was a um a baritone guard uh, dan electro baritone because when i started playing for josh turner i needed a baritone guitar and so i went out and bought one oh. for his tour amazing okay and then first venue you played <laughs> Bailey's downtown. Uh, there was a writer's night upstairs at the thing, which is how I got hired to go play the Tammy Cochran gig. I was playing the, I was playing a writer's round. Like you round. said, this is all a map. It it's really is. Back. I play, I was playing a writer's round for a, 
a girl that I had met waiting tables who couldn't, she wasn't a guitar player and she was playing a writer's round and I played the writer's round at Bailey's with her for free. And a guy came up to me at that thing and was like, Hey man, we don't know each other. I play for Tammy Cochran. We've got a gig in two days. I have called every sub I know and I, no one can do it. Do you want to do it? And it was probably the only time in my life someone just came up to me and offered me a gig, but that was the start. That's fantastic. Yeah. And finally, Bailey's. the first time or opportunity, and I don't like to say like where you felt like you'd made it because I feel like you're always learning sure, through yeah, whatever yeah. career you're in. But where you were in the place that you were like, I this is where I want to be. This is like yeah, you, feeling the wheels turn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I would say I had it, it, I would say two different times. Definitely when I started playing for Josh Turner, um, I remember because I had done a few gigs and was making a little money, but I was also still waiting tables. And when I got mm -hmm. hired for Josh, he was my first full-time job. And I'd say about six months into that job, once I kind of finally had some comfort and knew the guys and they were my friends, there was a moment where I just kind of looked around on the bus one morning and was like, man, this is pretty cool. I'm making money and doing this and this is pretty awesome, you know? Yeah. And, and it was like, okay, I definitely, definitely want to keep doing this, you know? And then I would say the same thing um, happened years later um, when I played my first real like publishing company demo session. It was at Station West Studios. And um, uh, it was at EMI. EMI is not even a publisher anymore, but it was right. one of their writers. And I remember going in and doing the little five song demo session, 10 to one and being done and walking out of there and just feeling like I had been driving a race car for three hours. Cause Isn't I just the best felt like, feeling ever? Oh, it was the when greatest. you know you're on the right track to what you're supposed to be doing. That was the, I was yes. just like, this is what I want to do. Like, just like that. Like, and I remember just thinking like, I want to go do it again right now. Like I want to go to another session right now. And of course I didn't have another session for like weeks cause I was a nobody, <laughs> but it was definitely like getting that chance to, it was like driving a Ferrari or something for the first, you know, and you go, Whoa, I want one of these. And that's how it felt for me. So I'd say I had that twice, luckily. Well, this has been awesome. Yeah. It's been great. I can't wait to share it yeah. with everybody that listens. Um, to close out, what do you love about what you do? And is there any other projects that like you're working on right now that you're excited for people to hear about? Um, the best thing about what I do is the people. I mean, period. The music is great, and I love that I get to play guitar mm -hmm. and make make music. But the people, the community we have here in Nashville, all the players, all the writers, the producers, the production assistants, the pluggers, the label people, A and R. I mean, it, there's just so many great people we get to be around and hang around. You know, I'm going to a roast of Shane McAnally here in a minute. You know, and yes, <laughs> it's definitely the people are the, is mm -hmm. the best thing about what I do, and and being in kind of earning your way into the community and then being welcomed and feeling like that's a part um, is 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 absolutely the the best part of of what I do. Well, music's great with having you in it. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Derek. Yeah, thank you. Stay in the loop on latest Yep events by following Yep Nashville and Yep Los Angeles on social media to learn how to get involved in your city. Visit yepnashville.com for newsletter sign up, Yep event happenings, and a whole lot more. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Libby Ulrich, and until next time, discover, cultivate, accelerate. <laughs>